Good evening, everybody. Welcome to episode four of the Grognar Grumbles. I am your host with the most, Cody Broussard, and I am once again joined by my illustrious co-hosts, Chase Green and Dave Ferguson. And tonight we have a special guest uh, from my home city, Music City, USA, Joe Collins. Uh, Joe, say hello. Howdy, boys. How's everybody else doing tonight? Doing great. Glad to be back. Doing good. Right on. Uh, as usual, I, I like anytime I have a special guest on, I like um, the special guests to introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about their experience in gaming and when they get started and anything else they'd like to tell us about themselves. Um, Joe Collins, uh, when did you get started in gaming? Wow, a long time ago, guys. Uh, it's pretty interesting being considered uh, a grognard. Uh, I think when you start out, uh, you don't think of yourself as that, but look back over the years, and uh, I was kind of there at the beginning of all this stuff. Um, born and raised in uh, Chattanooga, and uh, so I grew up in the uh, in the '60s. I always loved games, uh, board games of all kinds, uh, anything from uh, your your simple mousetrap when I was a little kid. Everybody remembers that. Um, oh, yeah. And, yeah. And uh, to you know, a little more sophisticated games. And somewhere in the late 60s, uh, I had a friend who had a bunch of board games. And he had uh, this game called Broadside. Hmm. Was that and, a was that an, like a Hex and Shit kind of game? or No, it was, it was actually Milton Bradley. Um it was uh, uh, had plastic ships, and okay. uh, and the the problem was that one side was missing, uh, and so we saw this. It was the coolest thing I ever saw. I was like, I want to play this. I was probably eight years old, nine years. This is like sixty eight, sixty nine, right at gotcha. that time period. Maybe maybe even younger than that. But um, but there were a bunch of these games they'd put out. There actually ended up being five different ones, and so I bugged my dad. Uh, to get the game because I thought it was really cool looking. And uh, that Christmas, evidently they'd sold out of that, but they had another one, which was called Dogfight. And uh, you had the uh, basically World War One. you had Germans versus uh, uh, the American slash British allies. And there were cards and uh, that you turned over and you moved these planes on a square grid. And it was really cool. And uh, I loved it. Uh, Dad would play it with me. Um, he liked it. And uh, um, I always wanted some of the other games in that series, um, but you could never right. find them in Chattanooga. And who, so, who made those? Uh, it's all Milton Bradley. Okay, that was Milton Bradley too, huh? Yeah, there was, yeah. I think the first one was as like broadsides and there was one Hit the Beach. Right. which was a kind of a World War II one. And then there was, um, uh, oh, Battle Cry. The, not not, the, not the, 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 the Borg, uh, Richard Borg game, but um, right. this was the original one. And uh, uh, much later, the, there was Skirmish, which was American Revolution. But that, that one was uh, probably 75, 78. That one came out. That was one of the last ones. So anyway, really thought that game was cool. Um, there weren't at that time any other uh, uh, war games that I was exposed to. And, of course, this was before role-playing uh, right. had come about. And so I went on, uh, got into a high school, went to uh, the Baylor School in Chattanooga, which was a uh, just-dropped military. Uh, so yeah. it was still seventh grade. It was still military um, somewhat. And um, very regimented, very little yeah. free time. Um, right. 
eighth grade, though, that that eased up. And so we had basically one during the day. We had this one uh, period that was uh, for clubs and hobbies and stuff like that. And all the teachers sponsored uh, a club or hobby, and they had a chess club. And I was like, well, I, I know how to play chess. Yeah. Um, kind of taught myself, and, and they'll see if I'm any good at it. And a uh, teacher there, a guy named David Harris, just retired a couple of years ago. Great teacher, one of the funniest natural comedians you've ever met, and a great history teacher as well. He was uh, in charge of the chess club. Right. And so I was like, okay, I'll try chess. And so I, I played some of the games, and I did pretty well uh, in the club uh, against the guys in my own grade. Uh, the eighth graders and uh, played some of the guys in the uh, upper school and just got, got walloped. Right. And uh, what I, you know, found come to find out in chess is that you need to study the opening moves and everything else. And so I went to the library and got books on chess and opened it up and started looking at the opening moves. And I was like, Holy crud, this is not for me. Right. Yeah. yeah, I was just like, I don't want to learn 27 opening moves of the French defense and all this stuff. And so I went back to to, to uh, David Harris, the teacher, and I was like, you know, uh, this is cool, but, you know, I'm really, really not that interested. Yeah. And uh, he said, well, we've got a new club that just opened up. It's another teacher in the history department, and right. uh, it's a war games club. And I was like, what uh -huh. the hell is a war game? Yeah, and he goes, well, this guy is uh, his his uh, Dr. John McBride, and I was like, uh, okay, and he's the American history teacher, and you'll have him in a couple of years. And I was like, okay, so I went, and and uh, John was the uh, he was new at the Baylor School, it was his first or second year there, and uh, met him, and uh, he did a thing with uh, war games, and here were these uh, these really cool hex maps. Um, with, you know, counters, it seemed like hundreds of counters at the time, uh, and these really intense rules that were yeah. all uh, uh, categorized and everything you had to read through. And I was like, all right, I'll try this. This looks really cool. And yeah. uh, that was the start of it. Uh, and, of course, uh, I don't know, you guys may not know, uh, well, John comes to Nashcon. His son, David, uh, owns Splinter Light Miniatures, which is uh, oh, makes some of the finest okay. fantasy 15-millimeter miniatures for role-playing and, and uh, in miniature gaming. Yeah, so yeah, that's I, David I would, McBride. I would definitely plug Splinter Light. They make, if, you, if you're into 15-millimeter, uh, they make some of the best. Uh, fantastic fantasy and science fiction and uh, modern day. I think they have some ancients and medieval too. Uh, yeah. The, really, the, really good range. The historical line's great too. Uh, both the mm -hmm. fantasy and historical line are great. So yeah. So that's a Dr. John bribe. Of course, John's got a couple of uh, published rule sets out now. Uh, he's got his uh, uh, fantasy rules, the pride of lions. Uh, and he's oh, yeah. got, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, he's, he's got uh, another one based on the, uh, uh, Mexican-American War um, and a historical set. So um, anyway, so so John kind of got me into uh, the Wargaming Club. Um, and while I was there, um, it, one of the opening things was not just the, 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 the board games, but uh, they had miniatures as well. Right. And there was an upperclassman there, uh, James Gentry. And uh, uh, Jamie was a junior and uh, yeah really want to talk to eighth grader but right. uh i wanted to play and he goes okay i'll play and so we played our first napoleonic miniature game mm -hmm. and uh the uh the rules we used uh, was this funny red white and blue um uh, rule book and yeah. uh 
it was by this guy with a really weird last name. I'd never seen the last name before. Uh, it was right. Gygax. Oh. And uh, yeah, and so I was like, uh, <laughs> well, that's interesting. And so I enjoyed playing that. And of course, we all know Jamie, well, not we all, but you know Jamie Gentry from yeah. coming to NashCon every year. So uh, that's how I got started into gaming. I guess that was a uh, eighth grade year, so 74, 75. Later that that's, year. That's kind of uh, interesting because I kind of had a, that's, that's almost how I kind of got started in gaming, even though I don't usually bring that up. I usually start with my role-playing experience, but you know, my dad played a lot of those games in the seventies and growing up, he, he was really into games. And so me and him would play chess. And, um, eventually he introduced me to Jutland and Gettysburg. We played all these old Avalon Hill games. And, uh, in middle school, I kind of had the similar experience with, they started a chess club. Well, there were only two of us in the whole school that knew how to play chess. Me, and another guy who ironically, we used to play war games with each other because his he was in, in a military family and he was really into military history and stuff. And as, as was I, so we used to talk about that and play war games. And so we got into the chess club and just walloped everybody. And so we were like, okay, well, this is kind of boring. So the next week I brought, um, I brought some of the old Avalon Hill games and Axis and allies. And so we, we basically turned the chess club into a uh, war games club. And then that slowly evolved into also role-playing games. Anyways, I didn't mean to interrupt you. It just was very kind of similar uh, experience and story. But yeah, was- that's very cool. That is very yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the big start of this, you know, was the the, the Hex and Encounter War Games. Um, later that year, John had a new game he'd ordered, seen it in the catalog, I guess, and uh, brought it to the club. Um, and uh, we had all read Lord of the Rings at that time. Right. And, uh, I was really big. Um, I'd really been, uh, big in the, in some of the pulp, um, genre. I read all the doc Savage books, which I think uh, kids back that a lot of, a lot of us did at that time. Yeah. And, um, which are really, really horrible writing, but it, they're fun <laughs> as hell. Yeah. And, yeah. um, John had introduced me to Robert E. Howard. And so I'd read all the Conan stories. Right. And so I thought that was very cool. And uh, this this new game, um, you know, basically allowed you, he said, to, you know, to to play out these these stories. And uh, I was like, cool. And so it was this white box. uh, I think this is third or fourth printing of of D&D. And uh, so I said, okay, well, I'll I'll give it a try. What year was uh, this? Gosh, 75? So it was seventy six. It maybe? wasn't too long after it came out. No, yeah. uh, if I remember, the Greyhawk first supplement, Greyhawk, was out, but I think that was man, maybe Blackmore, maybe the second one was out as well. Okay, I, I, we didn't have either one of those starting out. Right, we just had the original box. Yeah. Um, and I think that the original box that John had still had all the Tolkien stuff in it they hadn't been sued yet <laughs> and right. forced to take it all out right so um, it was early on yeah yeah it was it was very mm-hmm. early on so i got the rules and I, and, and I i read them and i was really excited um and uh and i thought this was really cool my all my buds all my friends uh had uh, about about six of us that that thought this was a, a really cool game but we couldn't really figure it out 
right. you, uh, you you seem to have to have uh, you know the chainmail rule set, and for some reason we didn't have that at that time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, so, so, so we just kind of winged it. So you, you guys really couldn't make heads or tails of it. I was I'm kind of interested because um, I've haven't heard too many people that get because you come from that generation that you know started with war gaming going into role playing games. And nowadays, you ha most people don't have that experience. So it it's really interesting to me to hear you know an old war gamer going into this new totally new concept, you know, role playing games. How how did you guys uh, how did you guys treat that? You know, how did you go into that? Did you could you make heads or tails of what the concept of the game was? Because the white box, let's be real, is it's pretty confusing, right? It's not laid out the best. It, doesn't really give clear explanations of what's happening. Yeah, the, the getting the gist of it was no problem at all. I mean, we, right. we understood what, what you were to do with this. Uh, mm -hmm. We were upset because the mechanics weren't all there. And, right. um, and so I was like, well, crud, I don't have this. All you have to use is a stupid alternate combat system, which looked stupid to me. <laughs> I was like, okay, so we'll, we'll use that. And, and we, of course, we didn't have 20-sided dice. There yeah. dice anywhere. So I we did basically chit pulls out of a cup. Oh yeah. That's so I I drew up a, a six level dungeon, which was way too big, and right. uh, had all my buddies over to uh to spend the night and we, we spent twenty four hours, I think, straight playing D D for the first time. Holy shit. And, uh, the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> it really uh it was cool. It was really cool. Um and then uh, after that, uh, uh, my good buddy uh, uh, Rick McGee. By the way, if you guys are ever in the Raleigh Durham area, he owns Foundation Edge Bookstore, um, and uh, to this day. And uh, uh, so Rick kind of took over the DMing role, and uh, and we uh, we were off to the races uh, doing role playing games. Um, still playing a lot of uh, a lot of the uh, simulation publication SPI. Uh, incorporated their uh, and the Avalon Hill board games as well, and uh, so that's kind of my my start in the whole thing. And and it was very early. Uh, seeing it all come about is uh, is pretty was was pretty interesting over the years. Yeah, so I'm so kind of curious. Just to rewind a little bit, um, you were talking about a Napoleonic rule set that Gygax wrote. I, I'm not familiar with that one. What do you remember yeah. off the top of your head? What that is? Uh, I think it's called Tricolor. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have to look that up. Yeah, and it it, uh, it and I'm, I hope I'm not misspeaking that, um, but I'm pretty sure it was Gygax that uh, he wrote that one, and then uh, there was a um, an English Civil War set that we yeah. had. Yeah, I've seen that one. Yeah, which was um, uh, Cavaliers and Roundheads, I think was the name of it. Um, and there seems like there was one other game that he. Uh, besides Chainmail, that uh, miniatures right. game that he he authored, but uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure he was the uh, author of Tricolor. I have to have to look that up, but that that sticks in my mind. That's the first time I saw that name. It may be the Cavaliers and Roundheads. The first time that I that I saw that because we had the, those rules as well. Yeah, just just checking out the Wikipedia uh, page for Tricolor. So it, it was published by TSR in 1975. It was written by Rick Crane, and he and oh, Rick I guess he. Became a wargaming associate of Gary Gygax. Okay, yeah, I, I, I maybe I misremember that Gygax was the author of that. I may have gotten that that uh, uh, confused with the Cavaliers and Roundheads, which I think he was one of the authors of that, as well as Chainmail. 
Very cool. Um, yeah, but TSR, that's right. TSR published it. So, uh, they're, oh, absolutely. They're, yeah. So, yeah, so Gygax, I mean, he definitely was part of it. Yeah. So, so uh, you guys were playing with the white box. Uh, Where did you go from there? Did you, did you move into AD&D when it came out? Yeah, we did white box for quite a while. We got all the supplements. Um, we, uh, Greyhawk was, uh, was pretty huge. Um, right. And uh, Blackmore, uh, disappointing. And then, yeah. um, uh, and then, uh, even though we did the adventure in there, the Temple of the Frog, we did play that. Uh, oh, yeah. Which was fun. Um, and uh, uh, Eldritch Wizardry, again, was just kind of eh. Yeah. Um, there was a uh, the original um, Gods, Demigods, and Heroes, uh, which blatantly um, the, just ripped off lots of people's uh, intellectual <laughs> property rights. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, we like that, and uh, so so we ran with that. When AD and D came out, I you know I, I forget. It's like the Monster Manual was like seventy eight or seventy nine. Yeah, yeah. We we got that, and, and and then the Player's Manual seemed to be much later. Um, maybe it wasn't until eighty. I think it was a senior that year, and uh, so we pretty much stuck with the uh, the old white box. Uh, we used some of the stuff from AD and D. And uh, after that, I was off to college, and kind of the role playing came to an end at that time. Oh, it um, did. Yeah. yeah, there wasn't. Uh, I went to school here at Vanderbilt, and there was right. not a lot of role playing at Vanderbilt. Um, did a traveler campaign when I was there, um, and um, so were you still wargaming in college? Again, there wasn't yeah. much. Um, yeah, a couple of uh, we played a couple of Avalon Hill board games and, and other things, um, and uh, pretty much, pretty much gaming came to uh, came to an end there for about four years, mm. um, and uh, it just it was not a big thing at Vanderbilt at that time, and there was no game store. Um, well, there may have been one game store here in Nashville. Right. Um, there was something over in Green Hills that sold Avalon Hill games, and. Uh, uh, there may have been one other store that had a few things, but uh, pretty much it was a, it was four years in the wasteland. Gotcha. Um, so I'm I'm guessing after you got out of, were you still interested in it when you were in college? Yeah, yeah v- very much. Um, I would still go home, and in, in, in the uh, in the summers we did a little bit of role playing. My my buddy Rick McGee. Um, would dm on occasion and then uh, uh i'd see uh john mcbride and uh go over to my old high school and see him we'd play a game or two during the summer and uh, uh he got me interested uh in um uh ancients um uh, doing 15 millimeter and 25 millimeter um uh ancients and um, um so I really enjoyed that, but I just couldn't buy, right. you know, 300 and yeah. paint 300 figures at that time. This didn't, that, that wasn't mm-hmm. happening. And so uh, that's all, all the gaming I had was basically in the summer and, and, and usually just, you know, maybe three or four or five times right. each summer. Yeah. So going back to the white box or just the uh, early D and D years for you, uh, I've always been kind of curious uh, since it was, you know, war gamers that really took hold of this thing to begin with, it seems like to me, you know, it was the, it was the war gamers that were the initial crowd and then it kind of moved into the universities. Um, did, did the war gaming crowd seem to take onto it really quickly or was, was there any animosity towards it or were there people that just couldn't accept it at that time? 
you know, you read about right. that um, in some of the uh, uh, some of the magazines, and and the uh, it, was, it was interesting. It's not like today with the internet. It, you know, the magazines were kind of the what created the shared culture yeah. uh, back then. And um, you had uh, the Simulations Publication Incorporated SPI, yep. which was Jim Dunnigan's firm out of New York, which produced tons of games. And um, they had uh, their Strategy and Tactics magazine and Moves magazine. And uh, you had a pretty good write-up uh, in both uh, some panning D&D and then uh, some saying, you know, it was a, a very interesting, very cool right. game. And so there, there was kind of a split there. Um, you know, at, at the club in high school, um, you, it, it wasn't that big of a, you know, everybody would say, oh, yeah, okay, we can play D&D. Some people didn't like it mm -hmm. as much. Um and 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 preferred the more historical games, uh, but there was never really uh, for us any big split or very uh, any 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 large animosity between the two different crews. We were all very much one cohesive club, and we kind of did, you know, everybody did what they wanted to do. But you kind of bounced back and forth uh, between the two. So we didn't see a real. In, in fact, we were looking for ways to integrate the two. Um, you know, we wanted to to do our role playing, and we came to a point in the story where there was a big battle. You know, we wanted to have a set of rules that we could, you know, do and and, and play the battle right. out on uh, on cardboard. Yeah. Uh, we didn't really have the miniatures at that time, and so we wanted that. And we were always looking for the you know, the great medieval slash fantasy board game that would allow us to do that, and then jump back into role playing after the battle was over. You know, and 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 however that took the story yeah, i think i think and, you're, gonna, uh, so we, you're, you're talking up dave's alley here dave dave definitely loves the idea of that sort of thing i think oh absolutely yeah just listening to the to the way you talk about it joe i mean like this is the way the the game was meant to be played as much every time we read about it or look at the old white books the white box brown box I mean, there's so many people, you know, who had mentioned, you know, you, you walk around, you adventure, you find things that, you know, there's that chance they're in there, they are in layer and then, uh, you know, break out the battle mat and, and let's go at it. Yeah, we, uh, we, we, we looked at it that way and, and, you know, we wanted to build, you know, also wanted to build kingdoms and, and, and be parts of major battles. And, and so we, we, we kind of integrated all of that, um, and, and wanted to integrate all that. And the main aspect, you know, is still the the individual, uh, you know, role playing, small level adventuring. But uh, we wanted to integrate all that together. So there's never the answer to your question. Long answer to yeah. short question. The answer is really no. The animosity we were always kind of amused uh, by, right. and it was mainly just in the magazines of, of somebody you know, gruffing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there shouldn't be any role playing here, or, or you know, uh, whatever. Right from the the previous generation of grognards, right. Yeah, um, it, even though I, 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 we don't wonder. Uh, we think, uh, I think back, you know, and everybody seems so much older than me, yeah. you know. And I was like, uh, you know, here's John McBride, our faculty advisor, you know, and he seemed like, uh, you know, the adult in the room, and I, he was probably, you know, twenty six, twenty seven years old. <laughs> right. Old, yeah. and we were all sixteen. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, did um, when when you got introduced to the concept of role playing. And still being a war gamer, did you did you take any of those role playing elements and import them into your your war game? 
No, not really. Um, I, I think our uh, the it was kind of the other way around. It, we we wanted to get hyper um, realistic, whatever that right. meant, in in the role playing. Um, and we were used to fairly complicated games. And, and the original D and D was very complicated. There's lots of stuff to it. Mm-hmm. And there's no unified systems, and we wanted to even make it more so um, because that was just kind of the way things were going. And so we we actually wanted to pull uh, you know all sorts of mechanics in. And uh, I guess my junior year uh, there was a set of role playing. We were looking at other role playing rules at that time. I got the original Rune Quest yep. um, with Greg Stafford's. Um, uh, um, and actually at the White Bear Red Moon board game, which I still have somewhere, uh, which was very cool. Yeah. Um, and just looking at that was like, wow, it evoked all sorts of really cool ideas. Um, and uh, there was another set the, called Chivalry and Sorcery, which has just been republished. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It came out and it was like, uh, it was like, it was like 12 times as complicated as D&D. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. Yeah. And and read through it and everything else. You could study it for months. And, you know, I began to slowly realize it was completely and totally unplayable. <laughs> right. um, did you ever latch on? So, uh, so, did you ever latch on to uh, Rollmaster? Um, you know, towards the, I don't think that came out till maybe my senior year. It was like Arms, Arms Law, I think was the name right. of it. Um, and uh, it, uh, my buddy Rick got it, and um, it wasn't a. F- it was just like a, a replacement combat system, I think, at that yeah, time. Yeah. And we monkeyed around with it, but it was at that time. I think I'd finally begun to realize this was like so complicated. The chivalry sorcery was like straight oh, out, yeah. and uh, um, and and even the role master was like, whoa. Oh yeah. And so we'll, we'll just stick with D&D. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because at that time, you know, games, you know, games from the 60s and 70s are moderate complexity, I'd say. But towards towards the end of the 70s, into the 80s, every everybody wanted complications and the complexity level went way up. But it's kind of interesting because that's kind of died down through the years. And now we're getting back to the basics and, and sim- really simplistic games. You know, that's what everybody wants. Quick, fast, simplistic. Um, and the the com- complex games have kind of gone out the window, which I think is kind of unfortunate because I, as much as I do love simple games, um, I I'd still like to play some of those, you know, every once in a while you want some meat and potatoes, you know, and it doesn't seem like people, I don't know if they don't have the attention span for it or, you know, if people, maybe they think people don't have the attention span for it, but. Well, it's also a matter of there's there's less. It's easier to get jump into a game with simpler rules. You you, you spend less time at character creation. You get more. Yeah, time I don't I don't disagree with that. But you know, sometimes it's I kind of like every once in a while I kind of like some uh, some number crunching and some some complexity. Um, not all the time, you know, not all the time. And but every once in a while, you know, I, I kind of I kind of in the mood for that type of game and. There's really not that many options for those type of games anymore. And uh, I don't know if that's a bad thing or not. It's just just an observation, really. I don't know if anybody... Well, I think I think there was sort of a, a megalomania that hit um, 
uh, the in in the late seventies, early eighties, that everything was bigger and more complicated meant meant it was better. Right. And uh, in some instances, it was. In some instances, it wasn't. It, it, it really depended on the game and the thinking behind it, uh, and what the game thought was, uh, you know, was important. Um, the you saw that in the in the board gaming, um, saw it in miniatures gaming, and you also saw it in in in, in role yep. playing. I think um, you know the chivalry and sorcery was like I said, completely over the top. I mean, brilliant. The guy, I forget the guy's name who who did it. He's still around, I think. Uh, obviously, uh, obviously a brilliant brilliant fellow. But um, you know, it got to the point that you it was unplayable. Right. On the other hand, you looked at uh, RuneQuest by Greg Stafford, yeah. uh, which was very complex, but was very playable. Oh, yeah. yeah. With the uh, with the 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 uh, uh, open I forget what they call it now, the uh, D100 system. Open-ended roles. They, and, they yeah. A very very good system. I think it highly underrated even to this day. Uh, RuneQuest doesn't get talked about enough. It it was it still is really good system. Um, I mean, they've updated it. It definitely has its fan base still, I think, because they they still have editions coming out and they keep updating it. it. It gets resurrected from the dead every once in a while, every few years, you know. But it was, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, and it was it was the basic for it was the basis for Call of Cthulhu, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, the um, uh, the ones based on uh, Michael Moorcock's writing, uh, uh, Stormbringer, and. Um, uh, Hawkmoon was the other one that they they used that system for. Um, or various uh, parts of that system. Uh, so yeah, uh, so it, that's example one that's more complicated, but worked really right. well. Um, so you kind of get that. It's not even a balance. It's it's, it's I guess kind of how bright the person was who came up with the um, with the with the concept. Um, and in you, it's interesting too. Uh, you, you see these reprints. A uh, very simple system that just got reprinted, kind of on the other side, uh, was the fantasy oh, trip. Yeah. And I don't know Absolutely. if you guys, yeah, if you guys, uh, I, I remember when it um, it was just uh, the the board game Melee metagaming. Uh, 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 was the name of the company, and uh, came out two dollars and ninety five cents, and. Uh, I actually mailed off. Actually mailed off in the envelope two dollars and ninety five cents to uh, the company to order it mail order, which is pretty funny. And uh, yeah, and got it and played. And of course, uh, it it uh, got turned into full full fledged role playing system. And uh, you know now after forty years, um, uh, you know Steve Jackson has uh, has reprinted it, and uh, it's very cool and a, and a fun game. Well, after college. Uh, yeah, you, I had a little bit more time and a little bit more money, um, and um, I was no longer had the space to do the big, uh, uh, the big board games, the SPI games mm-hmm. that I wanted to do. And uh, you know, most of my friends had, had moved off; they were other places, and so I didn't really have my role playing uh, group anymore. And um, so I was kind of at a loss as what to, to what to do. And I decided, well, I want to do these miniatures. I always, always wanted to do them. So I bought, uh, my, my mom uh, is an artist. And so she had some paints and stuff that I could steal. And so I went and I uh, oh, yeah. ordered a bunch of minifigs. And uh, yeah, and then uh, I was still in Chattanooga, and then and John McBride was still teaching at their school at that time. And uh, so uh, 
I, uh, he kind of helped get me started painting an army. And so I started in my career in, uh, in, in, in painting and building miniature armies. Which, and, uh, which kind of, kind so of got he of and I played. Point, I <laughs> yeah. It's completely I've been in Joe's basement. Control. I can attest um, to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's scary. Uh, so yeah. So I, I started, I started the, uh, the, the war games research group, right. uh, WRG, uh, ancients rules. And, um, because those were kind of the main yep. like, by a guy named Phil Barker, and um, uh, uh, Phil's rules were internationally used, and uh, John liked them, and 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 so I, I started playing those, and um, uh, they were competitions, which was amazing. In fact, Nashcon had a WRG Ancients competition, and so uh, the first two years that I that I came up here, that I didn't live here, I I still in Chattanooga first two years of Nashcon. Uh, I think the first one they had 40 or maybe 36, 36, I think players oh, wow. in the ancient competition, which was just like, Holy shit. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it was like, yeah, I was blown away. And, uh, and so I played there and then I continued uh, building my ancient armies and um, I played the next year. And then the third year I actually had moved by then. I'd, it was early nineties. I'd moved to Nashville and uh, uh, started uh, world war two when I moved here and uh, building World War II miniatures armies and, uh, and, and the rest is, is history from World War II to Napoleonics um, to, it just goes on and on. And was this, so when you, when you came back to Nashville, was this around the time you uh, hooked up with the track and hole guys? Yeah. Yeah. I had, uh, there was a club in, in Chattanooga. And, um, at the Royal Tire Hobby yeah. Shop, Tim Lee, I mentioned before, and we'd done, we'd done some miniatures there. Um, and, uh, I was just getting going with all that, uh, there. And, uh, we had a couple of guys from Nashville, um, uh, Major Bill Harding, uh, came down and introduced himself. And, um, yeah, he was at, uh, you know, told us about the, um, that there was a hobby shop, um, that had opened up in in Nashville, and then we found out about Nashcon, and found out the guys oh at uh, Games Extraordinaire were the guys doing Nashcon. And I was like, okay, very cool. And so when I moved up here, first thing I did is look them up. Went there on a Tuesday night, and uh, um, and uh, met the guys there, and they were all doing uh, World War II micro armor, six millimeter World War II, and so that's what that's what I got uh, going with, and then met all the guys there. It turned into the track and hall club, and uh, you know that was. 30 oh, which is still going today years ago every so which is still going today uh you know some of the uh, kirk harris and i are two of the original uh, members uh doc dave came in uh, a little bit later uh, i'm not sure nathan right. had even been born so, uh, there's, there's other people time. listening here that aren't familiar with what what we're talking about the track and hole club is our local war games club here in nashville tennessee um, anybody is welcome to drop by. We play every Tuesday night, uh, around six o'clock at the game keep. Just, just Google the game keep drop by on a Tuesday night and we'll usually be there playing games. Um, and yeah, if, if anybody, you know, from out of town stops through Nashville, please, please stop on by the track and hole club. They're a great, great group of guys. Uh, you couldn't find a better group of, uh, old grognards that like to bullshit and game friendliest, friendliest guys, friendliest gamers you'll ever meet. But anyways, yeah, I just wanted to 
plug the club a little bit there because and give people some reference point what we're talking about <laughs> yeah yeah excellent yeah it's a it's a great group of guys who've been around for 30 years and uh we do do everything from uh the uh, uh, mainly miniatures but we also do role playing we just uh finished up a huge uh um uh, Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition campaign. And now we're doing some other things. So, um, anyway, it, it, it's been a great group over the years. So, um, so anyway, that's what, uh, that's, that's kind of how the miniatures came about. I continued my role playing, um, at the time through the very, I'm kind of missed second right. edition of D and D. Um, just that would kind of went by the wayside, got into third edition a bit, um, but again, I kind of hit the wall that was so complicated, especially oh, yeah. when you got to the higher levels. Yeah. Um, um, it, it became a bit of a drag. Uh, fourth edition was amusing, but never really clicked with me. And now uh, fifth edition has kind of turned back the clock a bit. Um, you know, I prefer it over the uh, the others. I still prefer the original ODD yeah, or ADD. So did you, um, you were, you were talking about how you kind of tuned out during second edition where you, you just, did you just stop role-playing altogether during that time? Or you just, you just had your first edition stuff and that was good enough or what? Yeah, pretty much had stopped by then. Um, the, what, what had happened, um, is I just started the, uh, the miniatures. And so, uh, that bit me pretty, pretty good. And so pretty put pretty much all of my energy into that um and uh at that time and uh, the second edition while it was interesting um i was a little bit right. older by that time um my my peer group had kind of they you know like i said moved out of out, out of chattanooga and and I, uh, when i moved here to, to nashville was a little bit later um so there was a younger group playing the second edition and I don't know, I just didn't, it didn't really click. And I, like I said, I was, I'd bit pretty big in the miniatures and so I was right. doing miniatures. At that so time. what, what kind of drew you back into role-playing? Yeah. Well, I always liked it. I always wanted to do it. And, uh, I, when the, when the, when the, uh, the first computer games came out right, that were based box. on AD and D, um, I bought those. Yeah. The gold box series. And I thought yeah. they were great. And I had a lot of fun with them, and then um, and so that that kind of uh, uh, got the spark back. And from then on, it was just a point of finding the right people um, and and getting back into it. What was your favorite? I I, I really think that the very first one, um, in in some ways, um, that captured my imagination. Uh, as being the very best. And um, you, you would think that wouldn't be the case because at one time I was playing it on a machine, I think, I'm not even sure it had a hard drive. I think it was on floppy disks. And so you'd like, you know, there, right. there would be like in the middle of an action, something would be happening and you'd have to like, this screen would pop up and say, you have to put disc X in, you have to pop disc X in. You sit there for 30 seconds as it read the disc and then the action would start again on the screen. Um, but I, the, um, uh, the, the, the first one was, uh, it really captured my, uh, my, God, I forget the name of it now. We were in the town having to clear blocks out of the town. Uh, in, in order to save the town, I, I uh, um, what was the name of that? God, I can't say it right now. 
very yeah, I only had one of the old gold backs. I mean, I still had like I had the Bard's Tale, but my favorite gold box was Champions of Crin. It was like the first in the Dragonlance series. Oh my god, I played that. Yeah, that was like the fourth one. That's like the fourth one that came out. Yeah. There was like three three prequel. There were like three three of the uh, of the originals and then the the game engine got better uh cuz basically everybody started affording uh could afford machines with hard drives at that time. And uh, yeah, and so the, they 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 kept upping the uh, the game engine, the graphics, and all kept getting better. And so yeah, that one that one was good. Um, somewhere along in there, they came out with the first one, which was kind of like first person, and uh, I didn't like it. I liked the uh, the overhead yeah, control eye of the beholder uh, and those uh, yeah yeah, the Beholder. Yeah, that that was the that was the first like first person that didn't click with me. But the uh, the earlier Gold Box ones, they are. Yeah, they I still love cool. those games and still play them. Um, I th- actually, they're they're probably my favorite D and D computer games next to uh, Boulder's Gate. I think those are comparable, but I still I, I still kind of like the the Gold Box games because they feel like a more authentic D and D experience. It really felt like you were playing through a real old school D and D adventure. Yeah, it was. The, the, they were pretty well structured. Yeah, they were. And and the other cool part about them is uh, anybody that's never played them before is they they were a campaign. So if you finish the first game, you could take your characters, put them into the second game, and you could keep going. And the third game, and I think there were four games in that initial series, if I'm not mistaken. And then they had. I remember, yeah, the the Kren series did that. I had some buddies that had all like all three of the games in that one, and they would do that. Like they'd play through one, and then have their characters all decked out with cool gear, and then load up those characters into the second one. It was really neat. Yeah, yeah. And then they had the Dragonlance games, which were the same thing. And uh, nowadays, you know, people still love those games. And there's there is go out there and look. There's thousands of uh, fan made campaigns and adventures now. And so you could, you know, you can create a party of characters and you can play through all these classic modules and stuff. And uh, it's it's really awesome. Even to this day, I think it's still one of the best D&D computer game engines ever made. It's just fantastic. It was certainly brilliant for its time. And then after that, yeah. you mentioned the Baldur's Gate and Icewind Dale. Uh, both were, I, so I, I got those and played through those. Um, Baldur's Gate being uh, superior um, for, in, in some ways, uh, incredibly ahead of its time as far as the character character interaction with the NPCs. Uh, Icewind Dale oh, yeah. didn't have that, even though Icewind Dale the graphics and story were really cool too. So um, played through both of those, and so that kept my role playing interests. Um, and you know, until finally I settled this in the last you know uh, ten years, really settled in into to playing here with the Track and Hall Club. Got them interested in and 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 playing it out. So it's kind of the rundown of the uh, of the whole uh, RPG thing. But um, you know, as you're mentioning, Cody, the roots really were in um, in the early uh, wargaming, and that's how. Of course, that's how Gary Gygax uh, got his start in, yeah. in a lot of yeah. ways. And um, you see the roots of that uh, going through the original D&D. Um, and it's, a, it's pretty interesting um, how all that came together. It is. And this is, is going to kind of be our main topic tonight. And I guess we're, we're kind of beating around the bush uh, getting into this. Uh, basically, the roots of role-playing games. 
which is wargaming. Um, and I, I don't think there's there's a lot of division still amongst the community, even though there's 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 some crossover too. There's guys like me and Joe and you know some other guys that that are equally passionate about both. But um, there's plenty on both sides that kind of just stick with one side or the other and don't care about don't even look into what the other side's all about. And I think that's a shame because they're they're so intertwined. Uh, I think people really need to observe. You know, if if you're a role player and you've never played a war game, you need to go do some war gaming. And if you're a war gamer and never role played, you need to go do some role playing at least once. You know, give it a try. You might find something there you like. Uh, but I, I, you know, I think most people listening to this podcast are probably role players because that's mainly what we've been touching on, and mainly the people we've been talking to are mainly role players. And that's one reason I want to have Joe on tonight because he's a he's a war gamer, but also a role player, and you know transitioned right from the beginning right from the start right um but yeah you know so the history of wargaming i guess we should go into that a little bit and i'll I'll let joe kind of start it off he probably knows even though i i mean i've read a lot about it but you know joe was there and joe saw it and he he probably has a lot more information on it little tidbits than i do and uh joe to take us back to like the beginning of war games and where that really all began yeah, I mean, everybody I think is um, well, maybe not um, realizes that you know, a lot of your early wargaming was uh, was done by the military. Yep, and and got taken over uh, fairly quickly in in by by civilians. Um, and uh, the military aspect um, w- was taken and kind of made into a, a gaming aspect. H.G. Uh, Wells, Little Wars. Um, uh, he he wrote and uh, uh, doing games with miniatures figures, but they they were they were the the beginnings of uh, of war games. There's another guy named Fletcher Pratt who worked with the U.S. Navy. Yep. Who came up with a set of uh, naval rules? It was a book he published. Um, and uh, he actually had uh, had people playing in his ballroom uh, yeah. with, with uh, wooden ships on the floor. They actually move them a big big ballroom floor and doing a ship on ship uh, battles. Um, and so all that came together with uh, with traditional gaming uh, back in the in the late 60s. And uh, you had uh, Avalon Hill Corporation actually come up with the first uh, hex uh, uh, chit and hex games. Um, and what were huge at the time, you know? Yeah. I, I, yeah. You know, uh, they I, were I very, I think a lot of people realize how, how big Avalon Hill was when they first came around, you know, it yeah. was huge. You had a lot of things going on at that time. Uh, you had, um, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, ex, uh, a lot of folks coming out of world war two, mm-hmm. um, who were in their, you know, their, their, uh, uh, 30s and 40s and 50s um, at, at that time, who had some interest in that. Um, you had uh, a lot of people coming out of uh, you had the Vietnam era. Um, you had the big uh, NATO uh, Warsaw Pact standoff. Uh, yeah. And so there were a lot of tensions, but also in the United States, you had, for the first time, people were very wealthy. Um, it was a huge middle class, an educated middle, middle class. And uh, so um, the main outlet that people had for entertainment uh, had become the TV. And right. it's my theory that that's a very one-sided medium. You're being yep. fed yep. stuff. And so 
you know, the what people were looking for, I think, was the idea of producing a narrative, producing a story. Yeah. And uh, these games were a good way to do that with history. You could make your own history. You could produce your own story, and you weren't just sitting there absorbing it. Uh, you were actually doing it. You were refighting, you know, the Montgomery's, uh, uh, you know, campaigns in the desert or Rommel, uh, or uh, you know, Patton breaking out from um, from Normandy, or um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Caesar fighting at uh, um, at, at uh, you know the, the Gauls, um, uh, and you were doing it. It wasn't you weren't passive. You were active in it. And right. so it, it produced a story, a storyline or a narrative. And I think that's what appealed to a lot of people at that time, a lot of very educated people, and a lot of people that had the time and the wealth to, uh, you know, to, to engage in this. And so you had this huge explosion of games. One of the guys that designed for Avalon Hill, a guy named Jim Dunnigan, Jim's still alive in New York City. Um, he uh, he started his own company in New York called Simulations Publications Incorporated and uh, started a strategy and tactics magazine. And uh, they would actually, it was bi-monthly, and they would actually publish a game, a full yep. board game in every magazine. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was so cool. And I, I got my, finally, finally, finally convinced my parents to it, subscribe to one year or six ish issues and they'd come out with uh, i think perhaps the best game uh, the issue before i subscribed which is called the panzer group of Gardarian, which was the um uh, battles on the way to, to moscow and it was a very highly rated game we were playing it in the game club at, at my high school and it was so cool and um and you know my my next uh, i missed that issue and my next issue of strategy and tactics came in the mail and it was the I think they had the, the run of the worst six games they ever published uh, for my entire subscription. And then uh, my parents wouldn't renew it because it was so expensive. Anyway, so uh, so you had that you had that that search for a narrative uh, and search for being part of the um, a part of that narrative to to affect in some way that narrative. And uh, and in the midst of this, you had Gygax come up. Uh, and, well, and, and let's let's also. Yeah, well, for Gygax, let's go to the Twin Cities gamers because I this is where it really started, right? wasn't wasn't with Gygax. It was, you know, I, I would say the the beginnings of role playing games really started with the Twin Cities guys, uh, Major Dave Wesley, Dave Arneson, that group uh, is where where this idea. I think. Well, I, I think people were other people were kicking around the idea already. You know, I I don't think they were the first to do it, but I. I think that's, you know, that's where the evolution of the modern day role playing game really evolved from, right? Well, real quick, Joe, did you ever play like a diplomacy or had had you heard of Bronstein at this time? Yeah, Bronstein no, but diplomacy yes. Uh, that was, you know, one of the really early games. Um it was uh, great for club because I mean seven players, you could play with six, but seven, well, the seventh player always got Italy, and Italy always sucked. But anyway, um, but still, it uh, yeah, never never seen Italy win the game ever. Um, but yeah, we did, and and so that gave you an uh, you were the commander and negotiator, and there was a bit of role playing in that. Uh, there 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 truly was, and of course the idea of backstabbing your your best buddy. Um, so yes, we did. The Bronstein concept uh, was something new. We had had a couple of things. SPI published a game called Sniper, 
which was a man-to-man uh, World War II game. Um, and there wasn't much role-playing in it, but it did have the idea of man-to-man, uh, 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 that, that whole level of a small unit skirmish. Uh, and um, But there was no, between games, there wasn't any really continuity. And so yeah. it was just the story of that game that you were creating. And of course, what the Bronstein did is that eventually, as they figured out, well, we can go from game to game to game and, and keep the narrative moving forward. Um, and I think they, I don't think they did that, the original ones that they did, but I think in the, some of the cowboy and Indian games, that they actually, uh, they actually, uh, if, if my memory is, is correct, yeah, what I've heard, right. uh, they actually, they actually took the narrative from one game to the next. So we done, you know, the the man to man concept was not foreign to us, but we didn't make that jump uh, until D and D came out. Yeah, and just to rewind, I'm going to rewind way back here to the 1800s and mention Kriegspiel because this is really the first real first war game after, you know, chess and Chinese checkers and all these variations thereof, because there were other variations. Uh, there, there was another game kind of like chess made around the Middle Ages that, you know, there were different variations. Uh, but Kriegspiel was really the first war game. And I think that's really important because that's where the Twin Cities guys kind of got their ideas from. They, they, it came from out of Kriegspiel. Watching Kriegspiel, you had a referee. And it, it was a war game played on a real map. And, you know, you had your little, uh, you know, they used wooden blocks. I think where the it was in the first set. They actually, you know, gave it to the, it was a military training tool um, for the for the Prussian army. And, you know, out of that, you know, Joe was talking earlier about these, a lot of these first war games were designed for the military. And that's where it came from was Kriegspiel. And the Prussian army took to it. And because of the Franco-Prussian war, you know, they were so successful. All, the, all these other countries were like, well, maybe, maybe Prussia's onto this war games thing. So they started adopting their own versions. And here in America, this guy named Staunton uh, had a game called uh, Stra- Strategas. Was that what it's called, Joe? Um, yeah, it's something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, it- and the Twin Cities guys got their hands on that. They were playing miniatures games. And one of the core concepts, the real bridge here is the, the concept of the referee. And so these guys started playing uh, Strategos, and they made their own uh, Major Dave Wesley, who I credit as the real creator, well, accidentally, the creator of the role-playing game. I don't think he, you know, really, even to this day, I don't think he really takes credit for it, but I, I give him credit for it. He he started doing this concept of the referee in the war game, uh, which is still a very common thing if you play with any historical war gamers. Usually there's always a referee. You don't, you don't have to have one, but we still had this concept in historical wargaming of the referee. And I think that's the real bridge between war games and role-playing games because those guys, they always had a referee. And all of a sudden people were like, well, we want to br- build a bridge across the river. And, you know, Dave Wesley, who was usually the referee, was like, okay, well, sure, you can do that. Because if, if you don't have a referee, it's you, you have to squabble and bicker about these. And usually that's not going to come up because you're, you're sticking straight to the rules, but with a referee, you have a little bit more, a um, little bit more creativity. And Dave Wesley really encouraged this sort of thing. And so when he started doing the Bronstein, which was kind of an experiment, it was kind of the same thing. And they were they were doing this. It, it really was kind of a uh, 
I, probably a modern day LARP really is what they were playing. And it kind of escalated into this, their old wargaming kind of thing into a role-playing kind of thing. And the first time he did it, I know he, he it kind of went out of control. It, he, he actually thought it was, it was, didn't go good. And, and then, you, you know, he realized after that night that, <clears throat> Hey, this, everybody started approaching him like, Hey, when are we going to do another one of those Bronstein things? And then they started doing others and experimenting with it. And that's when Dave Arneson took the idea and took it a little bit further. And then, you know, one night, you know, the rest is history. He created Blackmore Castle and, you know, the Blackmore game, which those guys are still playing to this game, this day. And he introduced that to uh, Gary Gygax and his group. You know, they they played in the, the Blackmore game. And then, of course, Gary Gygax got a hold of it and boom, you had Dungeons and Dragons. But I think that's the real bridge was was the referee, right? That that concept. Yeah, I think that in in the idea of a continuing narrative, um, it, mm -hmm. it's interesting that very first uh, Bronstein that they did was actually uh, from the uh, Napoleonic Miniatures game. They were doing uh, Napoleonic yeah. Miniatures, and yeah. they just you know he had the uh, had the idea of hey, let's do like a skirmish thing beforehand. And uh, I think the basis of it was that the uh, French commander was at a, at a, uh, a house of ill repute <laughs> and right. the, uh, the British were to come in and try to capture him. And there was orders that needed to be captured and people needed to be doing various things. So it was really done as an adjunct, as a, as, as a sub narrative to the, uh, to the uh, ministry campaign that they were, uh, that they were doing before a battle in order to, determine right. the beginning of a battle and uh yeah so you see so you have the individual man-to-man -man with the referee and the idea that the narrative was going to continue or, or to affect something else and uh of course that developed later on as the narrative going from game to game to game uh and then you you, you build this complete story out of the, the little individual narrative parts and, and into you know you have your own your own tale um that that, yeah. that you're telling yeah well, I think that was the other thing was, see, initially that first Bronstein game, there was only supposed to be six players. And then uh, the whole town shows up and there's 30 players in Dave Wesley's uh, basement. <laughs> you know, and so he, he the concept was everybody was going to play, you know, a, a role. And so he only had six roles made up. So he just started making up roles off the top of his head as people started walking down to the basement. You know, at first it's like, okay, you're the commander of the French, you're the you're the, you know, this Prussian militia leader, you're the mayor. Then all of a sudden he's like, um, you're, you're a school teacher and you're a preacher. You know, he just started making up these roles for everybody. And what started happening is he, initially he started bringing in everybody one at a time into the room and he had a map and miniatures laid out and he was like, okay, what do you want to do? Blah, blah, blah. Well, the thing is he had 30 players out there just hanging out. And of course they started, uh, bullshitting amongst each other and swapping information before you know it they were actually starting to role play you know and uh you know where, where this is i think this was a really important moment in in role-playing history and probably war game history too is when dave arneson i think it was dave arneson he insulted one of the other players so they decided they wanted to get into a duel so they walk into the other room while dave wesley is you know doing the, and, he, and dave wesley has no idea this is going on they walk into the other room and like hey uh, he insulted me and I can't, you know, I, my honor says we need to have a duel. And so he's like, how, how can we do a duel? And Dave Wesley's like, what you guys have been making 
doing st- playing the game out there without me? They're like, yeah, we, we've been playing this whole time. And, you know, so I, I think that, 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 that little moment right there where we want to have a duel, you know, we're playing this character. I'm insulted. All of a sudden they're role-playing and that, I, that was probably, that's, I think that's really important. Just that little thing probably was one of the most important things in role-playing history right there. That that is kind of where it all happened. If, and in, if the story goes, if if I recall, actually, uh, David went to he gave up and went to bed that night. I think it was at, yeah. at, at college, and he was like, "Oh my god, this is out of control, and everybody's going to hate this." And they right. continued to play after he left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did. I forgot about that. They so yeah. He he thought it was a failure. He kind of gave up on it, and everybody was still playing down in his basement. They kept yeah. going. And then he got up the next morning and they're still going, they're still arguing and making deals and stuff. And he's like, what the hell is going on? And he, you know, yeah, he thought it was going to play failure. Of course he was in college at the time and he wasn't um, playing regularly. And so he, he went back to college. He was like, oh, well that was a failure, but he, he started tinkering with it again. And then all of a sudden when he got back, all the guys were like, Hey, when are we going to do this next Bronstein? He's like, what you want to do another one? So, you know, they did another one and they, they had different variations on them. I think one of the funniest ones was the Banana Republic. Uh, so they had this one. It was basically a fictional. Uh, it was basically Cuba. It was kind of a facsimile of Cuba. And everybody was playing different parts in this coup to take over the island. And Dave Arneson, you know, he created this whole care. You know, everybody else kind of, you know, they had a character set for him. And, you know, Dave Wesley's like, OK, you're going to play a CIA agent and uh, dave arneson was like okay okay again here we go back to dave arneson <laughs> and dave arneson actually like went all out he created a fake id he he had all these secret notes and all this stuff and uh they they said you know every, he he had everybody fooled the whole time but he went all out he even i think he even like if i remember right he even dressed up the part you know he had a suit on and like different glasses and he had, he had this fake CIA ID and actual pamphlets to hand out to people and all kinds of stuff. Um, so, you know, Dave Arneson, I think, you know, he really took it a step further in the whole, uh, the role-playing aspect. And it really, I think it really caught people off guard, but they, they liked it, you know, they dug it and they kept going with it. And of course, um, they, they had many other Bronsteins after that. And Dave Wesley, I think still runs Bronsteins for people, which, Someday I'd love to play in a Bronstein with him or even maybe, maybe even do my own variation thereof. But yeah. Um, yeah, Dave, I, I know you're really deep into the, the Bronstein history kind of bit and the beginnings and origins of D and D. Did you have anything to add to this conversation? I mean, a little bit. So I was really interested from Joe, you had talked about several of the systems that you had, you know, used throughout your time gaming. So I was just interested in your opinion of what these different systems were, some you had liked, some you didn't, what made a system good to you? Yeah, I think, I think Joe stepped away for a minute. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm uh, just back. So oh, okay. sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what made a system good to me um yeah it's kind of changed over the years i think um the um 
when when I first started out, um, you know, pretty much everything was new and exciting, and um, it it so complexity and and stuff didn't matter. In fact, I, I, the more complexity, the better. And sometime in there, I I figured out that um, I wanted something that was more focused and less complex, and um, and then I realized later it's really the narrative that a game creates, be it a miniatures game, a role-playing game, or um, um, or a, 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 a hex and shit um, a board game. And so uh, what I look for now in games is games that produce that narrative, that produce that story. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's something that takes, you know, e- each thing you do continues and affects things further on. Well, and, and it's it's more than that. It, it's um, it's you know, d- depending on what the game is based on, is is what is uh, important to that game, uh, and it concentrates on that. Um, and it, it's kind of hard to quantify. Um, that's what's important to me now. Um, it, it, it's it's cutting out the 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 dross, or cutting out the pouring off the dross, so to speak, in 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 what produces the actual narrative of the game, and kind of cutting the other stuff out. And that's what I look for now. That's what makes a game good for me now. So, do you prefer it then to be you know more freeform then? You know, kind of like you know maybe the old diplomacy or something. Or do you still like there to be some sort of mechanical element to the, I don't know, maybe like the old, the role play, such as maybe how OD&D had a simple reaction role? Or I, do you I, still like, like, you know, some sort of like number crunching and assignment during character creation? or Yeah, I, uh, you know, <laughs> again, it, it, it depends on what the game is trying to do. And, and so you, you, you said diplomacy. And so diplomacy... The, the idea there is role play. Um, another more modern game, perhaps, that, that people have, uh, have played is Junta. I don't know if you guys have ever played Junta or not. If, if you haven't, that's, it's, it's a hoot of a game. Um, and, and, you know, the, the point of that game is um, the mechanics are simple, um, but the role playing is the uh, whether you're you're playing El Presidente in Junta or you're playing the uh, the the, uh, the, the, the Prime Minister of England in, in uh, or, or King of England in uh, in uh, diplomacy or Germany or whatever. Um, that's what's important. Now, if, if I'm doing a, a, a monitor a modern miniatures game where you got M1 Abrams versus uh, you know the T64B Soviet tanks, um, then a bit more of crunch is needed in that um, to you know to further the narrative. Um, so it, it really depends on what you're trying to do and what the game is trying to do. Um, that uh, and so what I what I look for is I look for games that 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 find the important piece. Uh, they have the important. They have the, the mechanics that produce, uh, that help to produce the narrative, um, and and everything else is kind of is kind of superfluous. Um, um, if I could again, piggyback off of what you're saying, like a little bit of an example is, 
we see in a lot of modern games, and, and this isn't my own thinking, This is, I'm just regurgitating what I've read from other people, but it's just helping me to kind of get my thoughts together, is they've talked about how you'll see in modern games a lot of unified mechanics. And when we look at some of the older games, and this piggybacks off of what you talked about using, you know, OD&D or classic D&D along with Chainmail is like, so you've got a mechanic for man-to-man combat and overland adventure. And then you have a separate set of mechanics like Chainmail for then, hey, we want to get into the crunch of a, of a combat of mass armies. And so here's the rules for, you know, amassing armies and having them combat each other. And it's interesting to read back um, drop a name of another gentleman I've been reading of from these days is a uh, Rob Koontz who talks about, you know, something he got from, uh, from Dave Arneson. He had mentioned was staying away from unified mechanics and being able to have kind of like in his back pocket, all sorts of different mechanics available, depending on what he wants to do. And then knowing when to use each one, you know, just as it's right for his game or his group or whatever it is, he's trying to tackle at any time. And it just, if I'm interpreting you right, it's almost, it's, it seems to kind of fit well with what you're saying, where it just depends. You know, the mechanics that you like or the system that you like, it just depends on what you're trying to do. Yeah, I think the best games are the games that, that cut away the stuff you don't need and keep the stuff that you do need um, and, um, and, and allow you to focus on that. Uh, while everything else is 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 just is, is kind of superfluous, um, and um, in in miniatures games, I, I can can give you some good examples. Uh, we play a, a a horse and musket miniatures game. We do it everything or from all periods, from Napoleonic to to uh, Franco-Prussian War, called Volley and Bayonet. I was uh, it. I was a uh, 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 lucky enough to help design the second version of it. Um, and that game concentrates, it's very simple mechanics, um, and it, it concentrates on one specific level of, of, of warfare. And um, the, uh, while the mechanics look simple, uh, the narrative produced by the game is excellent. Um, and it, it's a Frank Chadwick game. Frank, Frank uh, was Game Designer's Workshop. Uh, not Games Workshop, but but GDW, which was a U.S. company, right. um, which a lot of people probably have heard of. And uh, Frank has the knack as a game designer of getting to what is very important about what you're trying to do. And he designs the game around that. Um, and uh, so the volume bayonet rules are, are, are excellent, excellent rules for generating uh, horse, and, horse and musket battles. Um, in in some ways, uh, I think um, you know the original D and D. It it does that too in some ways. Um, there's not a lot of it, especially when you compare it to uh, to to third edition. Uh, third edition tried to unify everything with a unified mechanic. And when I first got into it, I was like, "Oh, this is cool. Everything works the same way, and and and, it, and everything is is uh, uh, it all it makes." you know, it has internal consistency and logic. And that was like, wow, this is really important. And then I was like, oh my God, you can't play this. I mean, you can, but it's, it's, it's almost too much to play. I would rather play OD and D, uh, which even though it didn't have a unified mechanic was some, was, you know, in, in some ways more simple. Um, I concur. And, yeah, 
really yeah, got a I mean, really bad power creep after you got past the first couple levels. Yeah, around level five, I mean, uh, oh my god, and, and then trying to DM it uh, beyond that was was a nightmare. Coming up with the uh, with any kind of NPC because I mean it was so complicated. Um, so it, it, in board games, you kind of have the same thing. You, know, you can you can have these these massive board games that uh, um, that are um, almost unplayable. And, and if you do play them, it's like work. Um, but you can also have some really large ones that have the mechanics that are important um, and in play play very very well and produce a really good narrative and are fun to play. So this, that's what I look for. I, I look for someone who's able to uh, to a designer who's able to cut and and cut to the chase of what's important. Yeah. So I didn't mention that you. you... Joe, you you have had your hands in kind of playtesting, uh, creating, writing games. Uh, tell us a little bit about what what you've had your hands in. Yeah, I was lucky enough to um, at NashCon years ago to um, uh, to meet Frank Chadwick and uh, Greg Novak of of uh, Game Designer Workshop, and uh, they came. Yeah, and uh, got to be uh, friends with them and. Uh, in the uh, Volley and Bayonet uh, rule set, really liked. I helped kind of play test it, the original one. Um, they were doing play test versions. I played in one of the games and told them I really liked it. And I uh, got to know Greg Novak, uh, who's passed away, passed away a number of years ago, unfortunately. Um, yeah. uh, and um, the, the internet was just becoming a thing. Uh, in fact, it was kind of pre internet um, at the time. Um, it was like an AOL. Or maybe even uh, another service that had a chat board. Frank was on there, and uh, and so we started up a uh, a group, a Volley and Bayonet group, um, and with Frank and Greg. And uh, as time went on, I was very involved in that. And uh, they asked me to help playtest uh, the second edition of uh, of Volley and Bayonet, and so uh, so I did. Wrote up a whole bunch of stuff, and and we played a bunch of games here at the club, and uh, got my name in the rule book as uh, uh, as one of the yeah. play testers and, and researchers uh, for that, and that was very cool. Uh, at that time, um, I because of the internet, I was able to reach out. I reached out across into England to Phil Barker, who wrote the War Games Research Group, the WRG uh, Ancients Rules, and yep. um, started up some conversations with him and. Um, he uh, got to know him a little bit um, and um, helped him play test uh, uh, various rule sets that that he's done. And then uh, I end up ended up being one of the uh, uh, one of the main play testers uh, for the uh, De Bellis Antiquitatis rules, which is a, a fast play set of uh, of uh, ancient rules, making a very small game. It's a it's not a large game, but a very small game plays in about an hour. And uh, it's very popular in England and, and, and here and has been uh, for the last, I don't know, 20 years or so. And I was one of the principals uh, for bringing out the third edition. And uh, yeah, it's, I, I do want to mention that DBA, I think, uh, for those that are listening that want to get into war games, uh, don't really know where to start. And if you're interested in ancients or medievals, DBA is a really, really good option because you, you don't need a whole lot of figures to get started. Um, it's, it's pretty cheap because, you know, you could do it in any scale and 15 millimeters, the most popular, and it's fairly reasonable in price. 
and it's it's a really fun, easy, and fast playing game. So I, I just wanted to say that if you, you, you know, cause I know we got a lot of role players listening and maybe they're from our conversation. They're like, Oh, I want to get into miniature gaming. Well, if you want to get into historical miniature gaming um, and you, and you like medievals and ancients, I, I couldn't recommend DBA enough. And for the horse and musket period, volley and bayonet uh, hands down really good, easy rule set. Again, you can do it in any scale. Uh, base sizes do matter, but you could scale it up or down. So you, you again, you could kind of do it on a budget. Uh, but I, I just wanted to mention that that those those two games are a really good introduction to historical miniature gaming if you're looking to get into it. Yeah, the, the DBA is excellent. Uh, again, the DBA stands for De, De Bellis Antiquitatis, um, which is the, the the War of the Ancients. Um, in in Latin or pseudo, I'm I'm sure the Latin's correct. It's probably not pseudo Latin. It's probably real Latin. So, um, it, it's an excellent set, and it is played worldwide. There's a great community on the internet for it. Um, you can buy pre-done armies. You can buy pre-painted armies uh, if you if you don't want to paint your own. Um, eBay has has a bunch of them, um, and it's really good and a really good experience with that group uh, of producing DBA uh, three. Um, and a uh, really good experience with a uh, volume bayonet. I also did some work on um, the command decision, which was uh, Frank Chadwick's uh, and the game designers workshop World War II rules and their modern rules. Uh, they had a magazine. I wrote a couple of articles for that magazine, um, which got published. Um, and uh, not hard because they take anything that uh, that you sent them, um, and they were happy to get it. Um, and um, after the uh, after the DBA experience. Um, I, uh, I was asked to write uh, some articles uh, for um, um, uh, various wargaming magazines. Um, the, there's one out of Spain, um, uh, 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 Wargames and Soldiers, um, and uh, got published there. Um, well, they actually had, yeah, they actually were, asked me to write. They actually in, um, asked me to write the uh, yeah. write the articles that got published. Well, like, Joe, would you write us this article? So yeah, it was, it was really hard trying to get published with them. Um, um, right. So uh, uh, did that, and then um, um, I was, was still really much in the DBA mode, and I decided I wanted to write a book of historical battles using the DBA rule system. And I, so I, I got together uh, with about six other guys, and we produced a, a book, uh, which you can. Uh, uh, it's great battles of history for uh, DBA three. You can find it at. Uh, uh, you can find it on lulu.com, um, and um, uh, their uh, various war game shops sell it. Um, so it's a self-published book by me. And uh, but I'll post I'll post a link. Yeah, yeah, it'd yeah, be great. Um, and yeah. and uh, so I've I've done that. Um, so I, I've gotten a couple of couple of things published over the years. I I, I won the editors uh, for uh, uh, editors' choice article award for last year for a slingshot magazine, which is a British, uh, this is a British society of ancients. Um, and, uh, got published there, uh, on, on an article on DBA, um, and, and the development of it and, and, um, uh, some changes that I thought might need to be done to it. And, uh, that leads me to what's going on today. My current project, uh, is writing a role-playing game. And, uh, yeah, tell us a little bit. Yeah. About the, uh, well, the, the whole, um, I mentioned uh, Melee Wizard, the Fantasy Trip, the uh, the Steve Jackson games back from uh, from the late seventies. Um, those always have held my um, uh, I've always held them in in really 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 
high regard. And and yeah. uh, when when that kind of blew up and and uh, got uh, you know Steve Jackson lost his uh, rights to them, uh, the guy who owned Metagaming went out of business and refused to sell the rights back to Steve Jackson for those games. Steve Jackson developed GURPS, and uh, GURPS never really appealed to me. So I always yeah. always wanted to play the Melee Wizard. It was kind of like D and D light, and 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 it had kind of its own charms. And um, about I don't know, twelve years ago, ten years ago, um, I I don't remember how I found it, but I found this website called DarkCityGames.com, and uh, yep. these guys had basically published a redo of of the Melee Wizard the fantasy trip game system along with pre-programmed adventures. And uh, they're like 12, 13, but still they're 1295 still. And so I was like, Oh, I'll order one of these. See what it's like. Well, I got it. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is great. And so yeah. um, I yeah. bought every single thing. They, they have fantasy and they have cowboy and Indian and they have uh, Western adventures and they have sci-fi adventures. And so um, uh, this was, this was awesome. And of course I, I, uh, it's, it's kind of a stripped down version, and so I started adding rules to it as I always do, and uh, kind of changing things around. And I wrote to him and I said, "Hey guys, I have some ideas. How about if we come out with an advanced version of your rules?" And they were like, "Well, okay, you know, send us what you got, and we'll take a look at it. Um, we're not really interested in that right now, but you know, maybe we will be." And uh, so I sent it to them, and. Um, I got this reply back saying, yeah, this, this ain't going to fly. And, uh, yeah. I was like, uh, Oh, okay. Uh, and I was like, well, why? I was, well, there's stuff going on. <laughs> I was like, okay, uh, stuff going on. The basic, I mean, it's a nicer reply than that. And then, uh, about a, two months later, uh, Steve Jackson, uh, uh, you know, reacquires the rights to, uh, to the fantasy melee wizard and the fantasy trip. And I was like, going, Oh gosh, you know, is he going to, He's going to put all these other guys out of business is what he's going to do. And then, and, and so, you know, there, there's no way this is ever going to, to work. And, uh, and he didn't, uh, which is great. He, he, they're still in business and I think they're partnering with him now or, or doing some stuff, which, which is great. But at the time was very tenuous. The, 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 their, their hold on their business was very, you know, they, they just weren't sure. And, um, right. So I was like, okay, well, it, it just wouldn't go away in my mind. And so I said, okay, I'm going to morph this a little bit into something that's not going to be IP right infringement. And I'm just going to publish the stupid thing on my own because I couldn't yeah. put it out of my mind. And so uh, I've rewritten or written it. I rewrote what I sent them and have changed some of the mechanics in order to, to make it, um, uh, you know, where, where, uh, hopefully I'm not infringing anybody else's, uh, uh, intellectual property. And, um, anyway, so that's what I'm working on now. And, uh, I'm perhaps, uh, halfway through it and, uh, I'm, uh, anyway, if anybody's interested in it, I'll send you a free copy. It's for whatever it is. <laughs> and, uh, you guys can play test it if you want and give me your feedback. Uh, but it's, 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 it's typical, uh, uh, stats, uh, three to 18, uh, uh, roll equal to or under to, uh, to accomplish a, a task. And, uh, so that's my, that's my current, uh, uh, current, uh, project that I'm working on. So anyway. Yeah. So you're looking to, are you going to look to get it published? Are you going to publish? It I, I probably or? will publish it myself. Okay. Um, I've I've got uh, on Military Matters, uh, which is a um, uh, bookstore slash game store uh, mail order 
bookstore game store um has a uh, uh you know, they've kind of talked to me about it, but I'm probably just going to do it myself. And it, it, you know, this, it's definitely a, uh, it's, it's just a, uh, my own, my own project for my own, uh, uh my own purposes. But, uh, anyway, that's, uh, anyway, we'll see, we'll see how it turns out. It, it, uh, we're playing it now on Tuesday nights, yeah. uh, yeah, uh, over the roll, roll 20 computer system. So, or, a uh, software system. Yeah. I've, t- I've, I've, I've taken a look at your playtest rules that you sent me. It looked, looked really interesting definitely up my alley um i've been meaning to play test it with my group and we we probably That'd will be cool. here yeah 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 i'd love to check it yeah, out i'll send, so, yeah, I'll, Cody, I'll send you guys a copy yeah it's it's no uh no problem just uh it is not uh, it is not finished and uh it is not particularly well proofread right now so uh, you'll have to <laughs> the, the really bad uh, really bad grammar and uh, spelling mistakes and whatnot you'll have to overlook <laughs> Um, it, it'll have to go through a lot of polishing, but it, it's fairly well along. Um, um, uh, it, uh, like I said, I'm about half done with it, uh, it, at least with the text in the game system itself. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so Chase, did well, you? I was going to mention you mentioned that you had uh, you're running that over roll twenty. Are there uh, any particular? Uh, systems that you're doing any kind of miniature gaming with right now um, with the social distancing? You know, we've looked at a couple of things um, and, uh, uh, you know, Cody, I think you've looked at some things also. Oh, yeah. Um, tabletop Yeah, simulator. Tabletop Simulator is one. Um, the, what has got me right now is that uh, we, we needed something fairly quickly when this came up. And so... Uh, I decided that, hey, I'm going to take a look at the roll twenty and doing this game on a roll on the roll twenty, and uh, it, it ended up being a little more have a little bit more of a learning curve than I thought it would, and uh, and so I've spent really a lot of my time doing that and not looking at uh, at the tabletop simulator. Um, I would like to do that though because I would like to be able to play miniatures games again. Um, Oh man, it's it's awesome. I'm telling you. Uh, me and Dave actually played. Um, well, I've played a few miniature games with people on there and some role playing games. But man, for miniature games, I, I think it's probably the best tool for if you wanted to play a real miniature game. You know, online. it was great. We did chainmail on there. Yeah, we did. Oh, that's chainmail. cool. I played some. Old that's school. very cool. Yeah, we pl- we played some old school 40k. Um, in fact, I, I I have a chainmail campaign that I've been working on, and I'm hoping that Dave will be my uh, my accomplice in this and we can actually stream it sometime. Um, yeah, I think that's a great idea. I remember, God, it's probably 10, 10, 12 years ago. Some of the the game stores I, I would frequent, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to participate, but they had campaigns for their for 40K. So it kind of went with a tiered system and then it was, you know, based off of one guy and his army was kind of like the, the main big bad. And then they tried to tell this story with everybody's armies it looked really cool the way they had it set up oh yeah campaigns are a lot of fun with war games and uh joe joe and me and the track and hole guys have done a lot of them that have turned out really good i think my my favorite ones uh joe runs this really well he's he's run a real lot of really good campaigns i think my my favorite two he's run is he does a 1066 dba campaign which is really awesome and the great thing about it is you can actually play it you could play a whole campaign in one day uh, with DBA because, you know, it takes 30, 45 minutes to play a game. 
And so it's the whole 1066, you, you know, and it's it's just a blast. And then the other fun one, really good one, is uh, he does uh, Cold War Gun Hot, and everybody takes a Russian uh, regiment. A division, division, trying, actually, yeah, yeah. Division. Yeah. yeah, it's a division, and you're and you and you're all trying to race to the to the Rhine. So everybody's it's you're all on the same side. You're all playing Russians, but the the opposing team will play the the NATO forces, right? And they'll and they'll randomly roll up what you got to fight. And if you win the battle, depending on how well you win, you advance a little further towards the Rhine. So it's it's still kind of this competitive thing. We you know we split up into teams. We we do this. I, th- I think we've done that um, twice now. Maybe twice now. Yeah, we we yeah, finished twice, completely it? twice. Yeah, that that was a hoot. That was the uh, yeah. And that that is it's not my idea. It's a, a guy named Martin Rapier out of England who uh, who came up with it, and it, it, it's quite brilliant because um, you you have because we split into three teams. You have the team whose night it is to play, um, and then whoever else shows up on the other teams plays NATO against them. And uh, we keep track of the the casualties in in the um, in the division. It's a platoon. Every miniature is a platoon, and so it's it's not super oversized. Uh, the games are basically a, a regiment uh, versus a reinforced NATO battalion, and so um, the because it's at least I guess six jumps or five jumps. Uh, you got to win five times to get to the Rhine, um, unless you win really big. Sometimes you can go up two spaces. Um, but you keep casualties, and so um, you know, depending on how hard you go and how, and, and how much casualties you take, when you finally get to the Rhine, you can have nothing left to get across. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it could it could be pretty. Brutal. And it also doesn't matter because not everybody has to show up. You know, you, you got to have the team who's playing that night show up. But whoever else shows up from the other teams, they play the opposition. So the mechanic, the the people mechanics of it. Uh, it's really easy to keep it going, um, and it it is a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a blast, and I can't. I, I'm sure we're going to do it again. I can't wait till we do it again. Um, yeah, but we've we've done a lot of campaigns. We just recently wrapped up a Civil War campaign. I, actually, I don't. Did we finish that one? I think it kind of yeah the teetered out because the yeah. the the COVID's shutdown got us, but uh, it's basically over. We're doing a Stonewall in the Valley, which was a, a Stonewall's Valley campaign, and uh, it's uh, we're we're getting very very close to the end of that. And at pretty much, I think the uh, Stonewall is going to win. The South's going to win. Co- Cody uh, Cody managed to do an in run around the uh, Union forces, and he's rampaging up into uh, in uh, up into a Virginia, uh, Upper Virginia, and even into Pennsylvania now. <laughs> So that one's about overwhelming. <laughs> Hell yeah, yeah. But uh, I I love campaign war gaming campaigns. Uh, they're just a whole bring a whole new dimension uh, to your war game. Uh, one thing I do want to touch on why I got Joe here because he's he's quite the expert on the war games. Is like I said, we we most of our I think most of our audience is role players. Um, I kind of wanted to do this episode about war games because uh, I think it's a really important part of our hobby, and it's sort of uh, it's sort of been forgotten, I think, by a lot of the, by a lot of people, and just uh, historical gaming in general. I think is, I, I, I don't know, Joe. Do you think it's a a dead or dying hobby? Historical war gaming. You know, uh, jury's out on that. Um, the yeah. uh, for a while, I, I I was a bit down um, uh, mm-hmm. on the uh, on that. Um, you know the 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 gaming 
culture, though, has really bloomed in the last 10 years. Um, you've had the, the resurgence yeah. of uh, D&D. Uh, you've had, um, you know, the, the 40K and Warhammer Fantasy has really taken off. Um, and board games. Board games have gone crazy. Now, a lot of them yeah. are not war games or, or war game oriented, but a lot of them are. The whole Richard... Yeah, no, no. I, I'm sorry, not war games. Uh, board no, games. No, 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 no. The, the board, board games, games yeah. a lot of them are not war games. I, yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, some yeah. of them are war games, uh, like the Richard Borg series, yeah. uh, all, all the stuff that Borg, mm-hmm. you know, Borg did with uh, 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 Memoir 44 and uh, Battle Cry, the renamed Battle Cry, which was his uh, Civil War, all using the same system. And then in, um, in, you see those around in the, in, in the board gaming area. And so uh, that has kind of uh, given me a little bit of heart that uh, that that is uh, is is coming back. I think what you had is I think that you had a lot of the, the hex and chit gamers all move to computer games, and um, right. that right. kind of left a um, it kind of left a hole there. And um, and so for for a long time, uh, there weren't that many historical games that were being uh, that were not computer games that were being uh, produced. And uh, you didn't have right. the you didn't have the younger folks getting into it. Um, you know, the you can talk about society changes, societal changes, and everything else. Um, but then again, you look around, and you know, Flames of War is 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 huge or was huge, and. Um, Still pretty yeah. big, and so that gives me a, a bit of heart that uh, that the historical gaming is uh, is is still out there. I, I think a lot of it moved to, like I said, to the computer, and I think that kind of hurt it in that uh, uh, you, you didn't get the new folks coming in and seeing these huge games and being impressed by them as all the computers, and it, you just didn't have the same. Uh, there wasn't the same uh, um, amount of recruitment, I guess. I, I don't know call it anything right how to call it differently well it's it's definitely in the in the last i'd say really five years miniature war gaming uh especially has really had kind of a renaissance um you you have more rule sets and more miniature companies and more access to 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 that aspect of the hobby than you ever have Uh, but it still seems to me it's mostly gray hairs playing uh, historical games unfortunately and I, I, it's it's really unfortunate to me because I, I I I feel like it's a really important part of the hobby. It's a really fun hobby. It's it's something I love to do, and I, it's really unfortunate to me that it just doesn't seem to. It seems like it's a generational thing. It doesn't seem to appeal as much to the younger generation. Um, and I don't really know why that is. But you know, even though that you still you have all these. There's still a fan base out there, but again, I it seems to me when I go to a historical convention like Historicon or our local convention Nashcon, um, it's usually a lot of gray hairs, you know, and some younger people too, but mostly I'd say eighty percent gray hair, and um, that's that's unfortunate, I think. And do you think there's any way we can get the younger generation interested in historical gaming again? You know, again, I think for a long time there was a lack of recruitment. I, I think uh, things like Flames of War um, and uh, even 40K in, in, in Warhammer Fantasy, 
I think those are kind of what we need to to focus on. I mean, if you're interested in the the Warhammer Fantasy stuff, or, or, or uh, now it's called uh, uh, what's the new name for it? Age of Sigmar. Age yeah, of Sigmar. yeah. Uh, you know, it, it basically that's the medieval gaming. It, it really, truly is with you know with magic on top and, and, and monsters, but still the 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 base is there. Um, and um, you know, with Flames of War, World War II is always held, I think, uh, in people's imagination. You've got lots of you've had in the last twenty years really good World War II movies that have come out. And I think have captured uh, some of the younger people's imagination. I, I think again, the the problem was is that for twenty years or so maybe even longer when things were going to computer the the board and hex war games stopped and uh the miniatures has always been a smaller uh piece of the hobby here in the states and in england it's not it's 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 much bigger in england um uh, so so i think that um i think that was part of the problem uh is this there wasn't it wasn't out there um everybody all the old grognards were playing on the computers um and and yeah, uh, yeah. and so I think that a whole generation missed seeing the uh, the historical games, and uh, and also I think you know in in some ways some some people were not as interested uh, in in the history. Um, one of the things that drove me um, when I was uh, when I was a kid was the whole NATO Warsaw Pact. Um, and, and I'm old, uh, so that was. You know that was a threat that was always um, in you know in, in the background. You know, duck and duck and cover from the big nuclear attack. Um, so there, there was always this tension there. And part of the thing is that uh, I think was that the Russia was unknown, Soviet Union was unknown. There were all these unknowns. And so part of the fun of that was trying to figure out you know what were what were the Ruskies up to. And uh, and how would it affect us today? Um, and and um, when when the the Soviet Union fell, that kind of all went away. And so you don't have that international tension that keeps people's attention anymore. That makes people right. wonder. And um, that was part of the draw. And you'll you'll notice if you go back and look at all the board and hex uh, uh, the, the the hex and shit war games that. Strategy tactics, you know, you know the the Nazi nukes in NATO. That was the the famous thing. If you're going to make a game, you want it to be a hit. It had to be either about have Nazis in it, have nukes in it, or have NATO in it. And uh, uh, that was really really huge. And, and that was a huge draw for people. You know, is is that who were the Russians? What were they up to? How would it play? What's going to happen in the future? Um, yeah. And so when that went away. Um, it, it when that evaporated when the wall fell uh that was a big part of the draw it's just kind of gone it, it just kind of disappeared and the interesting now is that you'll see there's a bit of a renaissance in the uh, the old 1980s game the ato warsaw pack games now you, you'll see you're seeing a lot of them come out uh both computer games yep. and uh and uh, uh the, the traditional hex and hex encounter games um which is interesting, but, but I think that was a problem too. And so I think we kind of lost a whole generation. I mean, Cody, obviously you're different uh, and, um, and, and, and you, you know, the, 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 you, from your dad is where you picked up, you know, probably a lot of your love of, of that. But, uh, but I think 
uh, a lot of kids haven't. And, uh, but the good thing is they've turned to the fantasy. Uh, they turned to the Games Workshop stuff. And so it's still out there. I think it just needs to be presented to them. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, I think, I think there's a couple factors here. For one, what you were saying, I think there's a generational gap because, you know, your generation and back, you were surrounded by conflict and war. You know, your, your father's grandfathers were in World War II. Uh, your dads were in Vietnam. You know, you had the Cold War going. So there was already this kind of, I, I think every young boy growing up in your generation before automatically, um, you know, was interested in warfare. And it, that kind of probably peaked their, probably peaked your, everybody's, all your generation's history, uh, interest in history and warfare and all that, you know. Uh, but the, I think the other factor is, I don't think a lot of younger people are aware that historical wargaming even exists, you know, cause it's not, it's not extremely accessible with a few exceptions, you know, like flames of war obviously is great. Cause it's, it, it's in the hobby shop. You can walk into any hobby shop. It's there. You can pick it up and leave and you're, you're ready to go. But most historical games aren't like that. And I don't think people are really aware of what's out there. So I think, I think that's one thing that needs to be done. I think the historical the historical community really needs to make more games in the model of Flames of War to attract the younger generation and get and get back to the roots of the hobby, you know. Yeah, I I agree. There's also a bit of a is there's really no clear leader anymore. Uh you know, back back in the in the in the seventies was Avalon Hill and, and uh, simulations publications right. incorporated. And, and my gosh, uh, SBI, they, uh, they advertised in playboy magazine. I mean, uh, yeah. you know, that was yeah. back playboy at, at, at its height. Um, and uh, so it, not only was it on college campuses, not only did you have, um, you know, young professionals playing, but I mean, you, you had that kind of exposure national exposure um and it really played well to you know to that demographic and uh when spi went under in the early 80s of course uh, the uh, everybody knows the story there um uh, gygax actually bought the uh, remnants of the company tsr actually did um but that um, they they'd blown up long before then wasn't much left when he bought it um you know that was pretty much over and 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 the big exposure of those games was over you know there's they didn't have the money to advertise in playboy magazine anymore and um right so all that kind of uh kind of kind of left them just kind of disappearing and uh and no one has no one came up to take the mantle and and push it forward yeah and i i think that's what needs to happen now i think you know there's again it's it's more accessible than it has been in the past. You have games like uh, bolt action flames of war and things like that, that are, that are really accessible and easy to get into, but you don't have like, say, you know, a civil war, American civil war version of flames of war or a Napoleonics version of flames of war, really, you know, and I think that's what we need. We need games like that, um, that, you know, you can go into the hobby shop. There's, there's the battle of Waterloo, you know, or part of the battle, whatever. And here's a rule set and here's everything you need in a box. You pick it up at the hobby shop, bring it home and boom, you're in, you know, cause I, I do think that that is a big contributing factor. I've talked to so many people cause I, I, I still run, um, I'll go up to the game store. Uh, well, I haven't done this in a while, but I used to go up there, you know, once a month or whatever and run 
basically demonstration games of historical games. And I'd have many people pass by and be like, oh, wow, what is this? I've never seen anything like it, you know, because uh, it's it's not Warhammer. It's they've you know, they're just not exposed to it. And unless you are even aware of it, you're not going to look deeper into into the hobby, you know. So I think that's a big contributing factor to of it is I think uh, I think there is some hope for the younger generation. And uh, I, I think we could rope some more in back into the roots. It's just it's just the fact we need to make it more accessible. We need to bring it more into the open. And yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But on a positive. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, on a positive note, I, I think, you know, it's it's really it's a really it's still really healthy and strong right now. And it's more accessible and easy to get into than ever. Yeah, and like I said, the uh, you know in in like in England, you have the leader with Games Workshop, um, and and they've done an amazing right. job. It's an amazing company, um, and uh, you know they've proved that it can be done. Uh, you know, with the with the fantasy and uh, with the 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 sci-fi. Um, you know, you've you've got a slew of 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 uh, historical based uh, movies and shows. Whether it's the uh, Cornwall's The Last Kingdom, um, which is yeah. which is actually pretty good, um, uh, or um, uh, uh, well, you had of course the fantasy based game Game of Thrones. Um, um, you've got a lot of that stuff out there right now to to get people's attention and curiosity. Um, and uh, it, it, we just don't have a leader now, at least in miniatures gaming or in the the the, the hex and, and board gaming, uh, hex and chip board gaming, um, to uh, to really uh, to really have the big hit that pushes it all pushes it all forward and and, 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 and makes it strong again. And of course, you all have the computer thing. The computer thing is a big. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, it is a um, it is a competitor. It is, and it has been for a long time. Um, yeah, and that probably has a big part of it too. I, I think that, you know, has hurt the gaming industry for a long time is the computer, computer games. But I, you know, like we were talking about earlier, I'm starting to see kind of an upswing on going back to the traditional tabletop games. Uh, a lot of, you know, it's, it looked like for a while there that, you know, the entire tabletop industry in the early two thousands, it was, it was, it was tanking, you know? because of the computer industry and book sales and everything in general, we're just tanking, but it seems like, you know, people are kind of coming back around to the, to the idea of tabletop gaming. So. Well, I mean, physical media altogether has been a, in a much bigger upswing it, in the last five years. It is. Well, it, uh, the other thing is I think people are getting nostalgic too. Um, and yeah, but people, people really dig physical media. I mean, when did you think that vinyl records would outsell CDs? Well, they are right now. Oh, wow. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, that right there tells me, gives me a little hope, even though that's not really gaming related. It's still kind of the same thing. We're talking about, you know, a, a, a media platform that's really, well, to me, it's not outdated, you know, cause I still collect records, but, and it's still superior, but that's another note. Um, you were talking about something that everybody considered outdated, old, no good anymore. Let's move on to this new medium. Well, people, real music lovers and people that are the younger generation that's getting into being music lovers are deciding, well, 
we really dig this final record. It's it's a lot better than you know digitally downloading something. You actually get like you know a big twelve inch record with a full color spread art and liner liner notes and all this stuff. Um, yeah, so you know people are comic books um, might be the same way. I don't know that jury's still out on that one, but I think that more has to do with quality than anything. But yeah. And another argument yeah, we, would be made. That's a, a whole time. that's a whole nother topic. We're not gonna go into it tonight. But <clears throat> but yeah, you know, so I, I, I think there's some hope there. And you know, we're going on we're going on the two hour mark here. So I'd like to end on a really positive note. I think this is a good positive note to say is that tabletop gaming in general, I think the future's really bright and it seems like people are really going back. Uh, you know, to the traditional tabletop, they they've really just I think a younger generation has rediscovered this love of getting around a table, you know, drinking some beers or what have you and bullshitting with your friends and having a good time. Nothing really nothing's really ever going to compare to that. Uh, you know, a computer game can't do that, but tabletop games can, whether it be role playing game or a board game or whatever. It's right? a sense of community. And I think um, that people have started to miss that i mean you know how how isolated um well in this current pandemic that we have going on everything everybody feels isolated but uh i I think you know and that's one of the things that 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 i you know love about gaming in in general not only is the story and the narrative but it's a narrative that's a shared narrative uh amongst your friends and so you have a a pure group uh, you become part of a um, of a group there's a shared experience um, and, uh, you know, you don't get that on a computer game. Um, you can some, if you, you know, if you play on a server with your, with your buds, um, but it's just not like yeah. being together. I, I find it interesting. My own son who's a big computer gamer. Um, what they do is they get all their Xboxes, uh, together and they'll go to, they'll go to someone's house. Oh yeah. <laughs> they all play, they all play together in the same room. And I'm like, well, yeah and so i'm like going well guys i mean you you can just plug in and put your headset on and of course you know it's not the same you're there with your you're there with your buds playing and and so um that's the great thing about either role-playing games or uh the um uh your your, you know traditional uh war games uh or miniatures games there is a sense of community and and people getting together and you, you get rid of this uh this kind of isolated uh uh and, and I do think modern society is very isolated and very segmented, and that helps to bring people together. And I'm hoping that's part of the thing, too, is people get tired of, well, I don't want to sit in front of my TV and watch Netflix all night. I want to go out and and be part of a story, help create a story and uh, with my friends. And uh, I, I, think that, I think that is um, something that that may drive people back together to be part of of a community um, to be part of a group of friends and and having fun and you don't get that you just don't get that as much on the computer no you don't and with that i I think that's a great positive way to close out the evening um joe it's been great having you on thank you thank you for joining thanks cody It it was great thanks guys yeah absolutely and i i hope uh you're always welcome to come on again um we were we were talking about games workshop i actually have an episode in the works talking about uh, games workshop and old hammer and i think uh you'd probably enjoy being on that one because i know like like me you're you're an old games workshop player 
And um, so we're going to have a conversation with that. And I'm going to have some other old hammer guys on here. We're going to discuss that. Uh, but yeah, this has been a great conversation. Uh, Chase, Dave, Joe, uh, thanks. Thanks for the great talk tonight. Does anybody have any closing statements before we close out the evening? I'm good. All right. Well, on that note, uh, this has been the Grognar Gamers. Um, yes, we still will be streaming games. I'm probably not going to stream the Dark Sun game anymore. Um, just because we, we've had so many technical issues with it. Uh, but I've kind of worked out the kinks. So we are in the works of working on another live stream game that will be much better now that we've worked out all the technical kinks. So look forward to that. And just a preview for next week. Next week, we will have the Bards of Greyhawk uh, joining us. Um, they right. are a great uh, Dungeons and Dragons themed, uh, uh, I guess you would call it folk rock kind of band. Cool. Uh, they're, they're really ex. Yeah, they're really excellent. If you, if you haven't checked them out, go check them out. But we will have uh, the Bards of Greyhawk on here ne uh, next week talking about their band and discussing gaming. They're, they're a hilarious uh, hilarious group of guys. They're really funny and really entertaining. So it should be a really fun episode. Uh, really lighthearted and good. But anyways, uh, this has been the Grognar Gamers. Everybody have a good night. Good night.